my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of FedWatch. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Ansel Lindner. We are here with a, again, with a special co-host, Nolan Bowerly, Count BTC on Twitter. How are you doing today, Nolan? Whoa, let me get in the shot here. I love <laughs> life, Ansel. I am absolutely enthusiastic. Today's show was all about fear factors between fiat and Bitcoin and what motivates people and how fear motivates people. So yeah. we got a lot of fear from our Fed chair this week and a lot of fear going around. So in the uh, charts, happy to be on the show in the charts everywhere. Right. Yep. Yeah. Big show. Thank Well, first off, thank you so much for joining once again. It's always a pleasure to have you on and pick your brain about how you see the, the market going right now. We have a big show today. We're going to talk about the bank failure failures. Of course, Silvergate is a big one, but we also have things like the Silicon Valley Bank is having big time issues and Credit Suisse. So we're going to cover a couple stories there. We're also going to watch a couple clips of Powell's testimony in front of the Senate Banking Committee this week. It was actually 
fun. I, I watched it live and I reacted live on my telegram. So I took a lot of notes and I was laughing at multiple parts. So there's this one part with Senator Warren, and we're going to dive into that for sure. And then a couple other things we're going to cover on the show as well. But any plugs up front, any admin notes from you? Join us every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time for the breakup. We talk about all this kind of psychological motivation, everything that you, all the reasons why you'd be laughing and listening to Powell in the first place. That's the kind of stuff <laughs> we cover. That's why we call it the breakup, right? We're in an unhealthy relationship with patriotism, with national institutions and those kinds of things. So we try to expose all of that. I had a good show today and uh, join us every day. We do it. We love it. 8 a.m. Like, subscribe join do all that fun stuff awesome yeah and guys they're watching right now if all this stuff is right up your alley it seems to be up people's alley on rumble we've been knocking it out of the park on our rumble numbers so make sure you guys like comment and subscribe wherever you're watching this and help the channel and fedwatch grow as we get kicked off into this bull market speaking of bull market should we dive into the charts nolan are you ready for that it's it's an exciting roller coaster. <clears throat> you know, that's one of the punishments. You've heard about punishments for people. I, I came up with one of those today. Looking you know, at charts. If ever, if, if ever we get no, 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 not going on charts. <laughs> Making someone ride a roller coaster for like weeks straight. You know, like oh, people are wondering how to like punish Anthony Fauci. You know, and mm. if it ever comes out, right? If, if ever we get smoking guns and there has to be some kind of, I guess it's all in the context of everything we saw with Bukele and the psychological manipulation of the prisoners. So that kind of stuff is in the air. I came up with my own, which is forcing someone to ride a roller coaster for weeks because <laughs> that's what we all have to go through. And that's what the charts are going to show us today. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I don't know. We've talked about this a little bit on my telegram. You guys can check that out at t.me for slash Bitcoin and markets. But, you know, if I think that's one reason why we're seeing a kind of resurgence in spiritualism, because these evil people are not going to pay the price on Earth. You have to kind of believe that they are going to be face the music at some point in final judgment of some sort. What, what do you think of that? I mean, this is way off topic of one of the show. punishments I've heard about is dropping people from space. So that would be no punishment <laughs> on her. <laughs> Take them that's, out there. I'm sorry. that's out there. That's out there. I, I mean, it's in my list of considerations, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's get back down to business here. Let's look at the Bitcoin chart producer, Chris. Thank you, sir. So this is the daily chart. And since I took this screenshot, it's actually has fallen and it hasn't quite made a new low right as the show was starting. It hadn't quite made a new low yet, but it was within a dollar or two. But you can see my two arrows on here. Do we go up? Do we go down? There, there is still a hope that we can bounce right here. But if we break through this, this floor that we are on at the moment, the next level is the 100 day. And on my BitcoinandMarkets.com, I have a Market Pro letter that I send out. I looked at the history of the 100-day and how important it has been in the history of Bitcoin. But that's like the last-ditch effort, or we we might turn back down to the lows. So I'm I'm a perma bull, but right now, I mean, this is not looking very good. But again, I'll stress that there's still a chance that it bounces here. Let's go to the next weekly chart. And then I'll take Nolan if you have any comments on this. So you can see we're pressing against this formation. The 50 and the 200 day crossed in a first ever death cross for Bitcoin on the weekly chart. But that did follow the first ever bullish divergence. So we had a couple firsts here. And it's really just having trouble 
breaking this 50 day. And one thing I want to note here, you can see right where we spiked up into the $25,000 area, it was the 50 day, the 200 day, and this horizontal resistance. And a lot of people don't like technical analysis, but when you see something like this on a weekly chart, you know, that's a shelling point. That's where all the eyes are going to be. That's where all the orders are going to cluster around. Now, as these things separate from each other, there might be some traders that are paying attention to the 50 day and there might be some they're paying attention to the 200 day, et cetera, et cetera. So, or the, this is the 50 week and the 200 week moving average here, but so there, the, it's going to split up that the power of that shelling point and we can break them one at a time. If that makes sense, we can break the 50, then we can try to go for the 25,000, then the 200 day or the 200 week. And that's, that's what I'm looking at, what I'm watching for on the weekly chart. But uh, Nolan, what are your comments on the Bitcoin price in these last two charts here? Yeah, I think you are, you're correct in where attention is at, where perception is at, how they align and how it motivates people and gets them to place an order or, or load up a trade. I still keep the frame of seasons, right? It, we, we aren't really in the territory of math here. We're not really in the territory of numbers equating specific uh, amounts of enthusiasm. We have low enthusiasm and therefore... There's low attention. You can see a lot of the listlessness that's in these charts, right? It's kind of been hovering around for months. I mean, we're in Bitcoin winter. It's still winter now. It's still winter throughout the Northern Hemisphere. It's yeah. a few more weeks of winter to go. That's one of the things that I've been saying since the start of our programming for Bitcoin 2023, May 18th to 20th, by the way, everyone, was that that's where I felt the timing was going to start changing, where we would start having positive news and momentum and enthusiasm. And I was really bullish on the timing of the show in May like that. And I continue to be. And now it's nothing more than just my perception of seasons and change and the four-year having cycles and what we've seen before in 2019 and what we saw before in 2015, 2016. So it feels the same. Right. The feeling is the same. And I know that doesn't mean much, but it, it shows up in the charts. It shows up in the way everyone is looking at this stuff. And I think we talked about it last week and the week before, I believe, that we're in that 2019 situation. We're in that 2019 environment again, except the other pieces, the, the other side of the trade, the reason why you dump the dollar is just growing. Right. The reason why you would exit the system, let's say, is just growing. You've got Janet Yellen going around the world yelling about trying to get tax minimum tax rates for all kinds of businesses yeah. and come, you know to sort of capture tax free jurisdictions and individuals capacity to arbitrage the system so there there's a whole different scenario on the other side of the trade so while i see bitcoin has the same lack of enthusiasm behind it that will ebb and flow and i can see that coming back pretty quickly. And I do anticipate it comes back by the end of the actual winter. So we're almost there. But the other side of the trade, right, the reason why you would dump a system, it's not just about the money, you're dumping a system here, right? Those reasons continue to grow. So that makes me very positive, very bullish. And that's usually where I'm at here. It's not just about what Bitcoin does. It's the failures of the other thing. Yeah. And that's why we're talking about these failures today. Let's keep talking about the failures. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some more charts here. You talked about the dollar dumping the dollar. We have a bunch of currency charts, and then we're going to talk about stock market charts, which you know are highly correlated with Bitcoin at the moment. So I'm going to zip through these, Nolan, as fast as I can, and then you just stop me whenever you want, and I'll stop at like the the different groupings. So 
after currencies, I'll stop and make sure that I'm not droning on. But okay, so what we're looking at here is the dollar. This is DXY, the dollar index. This is very narrow index, so it's mainly against the euro, but then you also have the yen and the pound. But importantly, there's no Chinese yuan. There's no Mexican peso or can Canadian dollar because those are our biggest trading partners. So, um, but what you can see here is it is just slowly grinding higher. We did make a higher high here on the DXY. And what I've been calling for is not another repeat of the dollar wrecking ball from 2021 into 2022, but just a kind of mildly rising dollar. And this is kind of what we are seeing right now. I do have another chart of the dollar. So Chris, if we go to the next one, this is the broad trade weighted dollar in black with the DXY in green kind of behind it. And so the, the trade weighted dollar does include the Chinese yuan, the Mexican peso, the Canadian dollar, the, these big trading partners. And I think it's a list of 35 different currencies. So it's very broad. And you can see that it is also going up in the long term, this is a longer term chart, but the DXY, which is heavily weighted towards those larger economies is, you know, the dollar is doing better against the other larger currencies, which is, is very interesting in my opinion, but you can see this is also trending higher, not lower. So people are not dumping the dollar. People are actually getting the dollars, getting more and more entrenched. Okay. On the next slide, this is the CNY and a little bit longer term chart going back to 2017. You can see it's been, there's been quite a few big ups and downs in the Chinese Yuan, but we did break up higher than 2019 and 2019 was then higher than back in 2017. So, you know, the trend, and this isn't higher as in stronger, this is higher as in weaker, more Chinese Yuan per dollar. And you can see right now we have turned around on this and going higher recently, the most recent little candle that's hard to see on this chart is a little bit higher high. So there is no turning back. And we've reported here on the show on FedWatch that they are really cranking out, cranking up the credit creation in China and they have a little different situation. So in the US, the Fed can't go to the banks and, and force them to lend. That's why we do QE and QE is meant to make the balance sheets of the banks better so that they will naturally go out and lend into the market. But China is different. China can authoritarian, you know, with their authoritarian uh, structure over there, set, tell the banks, make 50% more loans this quarter and they'll go out and do it. And we, we looked at the numbers on the show here in the past few episodes and they did that. They printed like two, $1 trillion worth of yuan in January alone. I believe it was January. It might've been December. So I expect this to accelerate higher, you know, more Chinese yuan per dollar. And how is that going to affect the world of currencies, the world of Forex trading? I think it's going to be very damaging, but okay. In the next slide, we have the Hong Kong dollar. And I think you have, you and I have talked about this one before the Hong Kong dollar is a pegged range. When it's at the top of the peg, that means the Hong Kong dollar is weak and wants to get weaker and the Hong Kong Mon Monetary Authority, that's what they call their kind of quasi central bank in just Hong Kong. They have to go out and sell dollars and buy Hong Kong dollars. That's the way they keep this from, you know, shooting through the roof right here. I did go and check their latest 
release from the Hong Kong Monetary Authority. It came out two days ago for February's numbers, and they have $428 billion in reserves. And they spent about, I think it was $8 billion in February alone to maintain this peg. So, and that wasn't at the top of this peg the whole time either. That was just a few weeks at the top, not the entire month of February. So if the entire month of March is at the top, you know, we could expect 10 to $20 billion to defend this peg. How long does that give them? That gives them about 20 months runway, you know, and with the Chinese Yuan going higher, maybe this will put even more pressure on the Hong Kong dollar. We'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority is not in danger of running out of dollars anytime soon. So that's my currencies there. Nolan, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, let's tie the Bitcoin piece into Hong Kong. We saw some ETF news come out of Hong Kong. We saw some, let's say, increased appetite for Bitcoin as the typical conduit. You know, as I understand, Hong Kong was always used as a way for the Chinese monetary system to interact with the American system in a form that was acceptable to everyone, let's say, and that's historically where it's behaved. With everything that's gone on, with the changes around how capital controls work, how the justice system works in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is now not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And there is a bit of reluctance, let's say, for regulatory risk now on the part of Americans or Westerners doing business in China. Would you say that everything we saw with Bitcoin is sort of to counter what's going on here? Because if you, if you look at it from the frame of just its ability to fulfill that dollar on-ramp, off-ramp thing for the Chinese economy, one could argue that the runway there is over and your 20 months or whatever you, you know, you did 400 billion divided by 8 billion a month and they've got 20 months. Is that whole law, the inevitability of that and what we're seeing with this new increased risk tolerance for Bitcoin and other financial products in Hong Kong? A way to counter that? Is it trying to find a new identity in, in the global financial forex system with, the, with, with its recent moves? Yeah, Hong Kong, I mean, I haven't researched it a ton, but I know that they've lost a ton of business and a ton of population in the last couple of years since the whole China retakeover happened. So I think that's going to weigh dramatically on the currency. The currency is probably going to continue to stay weak. A lot of people, Kyle Bass is an expert of investing in China. And he is convinced that the peg is going to break. It's just a matter of time before they move the peg up. Now, that would cause massive ripples in global finance if that were to to break. Because the reason why I use the Hong Kong dollar is because it's kind of a proxy for East Asian economic activity. And so if that breaks, I mean, all of the price signals that we have in the market are going to be all distorted. And it's going to be a pretty big deal if and when the Hong Kong Monetary Monetary Authority decides to change that peg. Now, what is it with Bitcoin? Well, we've seen that the mainland China has really clamped down, tried to close a bunch of loopholes for capital flight. At the same time, Hong Kong is kind of opening back up to Bitcoin. So that those are two contradictory things, and I don't know exactly how to explain it. Perhaps the elites want capital flight, and so they can they can manipulate Hong Kong's policies more than they're starting they to get banned from real estate, right? They're starting to get banned. Yeah. There's jurisdictions that are saying you can't use that whatever of that trillion that the Chinese just printed in order to yeah. lend out that they want to start insulating themselves. So you've seen prejudicial 
home ownership. These come to Canada. I believe you're starting to hear more and more about it in the United States about how Chinese, you know, from if your source of money is a Chinese bank, you can't buy X Y Z property in X Y Z city. So is that is that part of what this mitigation could be about? I mean, we're we're trying to mind read a bit here because. Fog of yeah. war. It's very difficult to understand what's going on with the CCP and how it sees Hong Kong. But I see playing a little bit with fire here where they could get burned by the types of liberalizations they're re-promoting in Hong Kong. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine. The CCP kind of has more control over Hong Kong now than it did. But how much does it have? Is I mean, this party congress that's going on right now in China, I think they have 5,000 members that make the trek to Beijing. So they're, those are like the elites in China. And maybe a 1,000 of those elites want to actually use Bitcoin to get money out or to get it out of mainland China somehow. So I think there could be something going on between the elites and some elites wanting capital flight while other, you know, the rest of the CCP is clamping down. I mean, it's a complicated story. We don't know. It is interesting though, that it is apparently contradictory closing loopholes for capital flight while Hong Kong is opening to Bitcoin. So I'll definitely be watching that and reporting on that in weeks to come. So, okay, let's, uh, can, do you have any more on that or should we go no, on to the stocks? No, that's great, that's great. All right, cool. Let's go to slide number seven, please, Chris. So this is S&P 500. And I took this snapshot earlier this morning after market opened. I haven't checked it since, so it might be different than what we're seeing here. But you can see we did break out, kind of came back on some of Powell's testimony in front of Congress, but didn't break down to new lows or anything. I mean, it's holding this other trend line very recently we have higher highs and higher lows still so really this does not look bearish at all in my opinion so i don't a lot of analysts are there's a lot of doomers out there but when you look at this chart how can you be a big doomer next slide is s p 500 
with the 50 and 200 day moving averages. And you can see I'm pointing out the golden cross. We also, the price, the index price here also held the 200 day moving average on the recent dip. So this is also looking up. Next slide, please. The next one, I go into the NASDAQ and I haven't really talked about this very much and I, I don't have much to say about the NASDAQ. Well, first off, the S&P 500 is 500 companies. It is actively managed which 500 companies are in there you have to be a certain you know you have to fulfill certain standards to be in the 500 but every year I, I don't know the exact numbers but i think they drop out like five and bring five new companies in so there is turnover in the s p 500. nasdaq is the same thing except it's only 100 technology companies and you can see they're just about to have their golden cross so they're a little bit behind where the rest of the market is maybe this because it sold off more you know we heard stories about Tesla stock and all this stuff crashing last year. So it took a little bit longer to get to this golden cross, but it is coming probably tomorrow. Next slide, please. This is the Wilshire 5000. This is the broadest stock index we can have 5000 companies. And I think it's the broadest index in the world is this Wilshire 5000. But you can see that it also had a golden cross and it has been holding the 50 day, not just the 200 day. But uh, overall, on the broadest measure of stocks, it does not look bearish at all. I mean, you could draw an upward channel on this chart right here, and it would look very bullish. Okay, next slide is the Dow Jones Industrial Average. This is only 30 companies, so it's the narrowest stock market index that we have. Of course, it's the big, the biggest companies, but they had the Golden Cross. It looks a little bit more sideways than the other charts. But I, I, the arrow that I'm going from right to left on this chart, I'm just showing the level we're at right now was the same level that we were at back at the end of February 2022. So over a year, we've been at this same general level. And what has happened during that time? Well, the Fed has raised interest rates at the fastest rate in 40 years. And the stock market is at the same place. So you know, we have to ask ourselves, does raising rates, is that negatively affect the stock market? Really, it does, hasn't. I mean, I challenge anybody to look at these charts and tell me how that continuing to raise rates is going to affect the stock market if it hasn't done so already. But anyway, that's all I have for the stock markets. Nolan, and any comments on this? Yeah, interesting to see the gap between their death cross and their golden cross and and the sentiment that went through that, like you said, at the beginning, when you saw that death cross and when you saw the anticipation of interest rates being raised last summer, you could understand why it had that downward momentum. Now, what seems interesting is that it's done nothing but drive up slowly over the same amount of months while the interest rate hikes have been actually happening. So it does indeed look like the old wisdom of how these markets can be manipulated is kind of out the door. Like we're not getting the type of punishment to the people who have made all that money in speculation that's been anticipated, right? There, there's sort of a, a belief that the Federal Reserve has got switches and it's just calibrating down. Oh, the people who invest need to be a little not as flush with cash and and so but you can see here that the machine is nowhere near as responsive as we've been led to believe so or at least as it's presented so that that's what i see there and 
But I, I agree. I like to see that the psychologically anyway, the market has dealt with it, right? They've they've dealt with all these headwinds and sort of maintained their composure. And that's something you see a lot with Bitcoiners, right? You see Bitcoiners that have been able to suffer much larger gaps, much larger swings throughout their hodling period of, you know, however long people have been involved in the space and, and resistant to these huge market swings. So that that's an interesting factor. And all of this, I guess, suggests that we have uncorrelated Bitcoin <laughs> from the normal market, <laughs> just maybe not in the direction everyone hoped. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, stock the stock markets are basically flat for the last year where Bitcoin is way far down. But, you know, I mean, things in Bitcoin, like I follow the hash rate quite closely and the hash rate is acting like Bitcoin is at 50,000. You know, the hash rate continues to go up and the mining sector continues to boom. So it's acting like Bitcoin is at 50,000 and the stock market is flat for the last year where Bitcoin is down. So maybe Bitcoin is going to, we just talked about how it's going to drop here, but maybe Bitcoin has this this epic bounce that we're all waiting for a repricing event that doesn't allow people to get in, you know, cause the market tries to screw the most amount of people. So it's going to shrink the rise to the shortest window possible. So we might see a pretty powerful bounce, something like that to catch Bitcoin back up with the stock market and the mining sector that I think are both signaling Bitcoin is undervalued right now. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that's why I follow things like we saw this week in Pennsylvania, the first nuclear-powered coin operation, and indeed one of the first new nuclear reactors to go critical in America in years. There's a Pennsylvania one and a Gen 3 reactor that went critical this week in Georgia. So America out there innovating on the energy space, out there finally after 40-something years having new power generation so indeed, the whole energy market in the world, the, the way we break down our grid, the way we source our supplies, everything changing after what happened in Europe this year, energy literacy finally on the rise, people finally understanding the trade-offs, sustainable loads, not energy that's made from sustainable sources, but sustainable loads being one of the most important factors in having a healthy grid. And, you know, you're seeing it in Texas, you're seeing their energy literacy on the rise, their capacity to understand Bitcoin's role in that. So indeed, I continue to think that the big repricing event is as Bitcoin couples with the energy industry more and more, and you're seeing more and more of a symbiosis, because that's the last loop that still has to be closed for Bitcoin to separate itself. We talk about uncorrelated markets, right? For Bitcoin to truly uncorrelate itself, it needs to cut its connection, which is paying electrical bills in dollars. Because just like a foreign country, Bitcoin has to come up with you know, its share of dollars to pay its bills. And that means that even Bitcoin has to live on a dollar fiat standard right now, a US dollar standard. That's why I continue to believe that you're going to get more and more momentum behind Bitcoin mines actually owning and operating energy. We're not there yet. This nuclear yes. reactor in Pennsylvania is not owned by Bitcoiners. They're just leeching off of it in the good way, in the good way, right? But well, all this stuff about you know mining methane as a stranded energy, I'm not talking about that either. <laughs> I'm talking about owning energy sources and closing the loop finally on the dollar thing. So may, that's what I think is cooking up here. That's what I see cooking up. 
And the more and more energy is played by these market manipulators, the more and more energy policies intertwined with speculators, the more and more reason Bitcoiners and, and the pinch they just felt, the, the amazing consolidation events and, and stress that yeah. the miners have felt with the low price of Bitcoin. I think nature abhors a vacuum and Bitcoiners now have a narrative to build on that I think is the most powerful one out there, given everything that's happening in the world. We, we heard even, you know, the, the Indians getting criticized this week for <laughs> buying energy in rupee. Again, getting criticized because they didn't have the dollars to buy the energy and you can't buy the energy from Russia if you use dollars right now. That's the way the sanctions work. So yeah. India, who has a longstanding relationship with Russia for energy, not neighbors, but not far, like it's not that far, want to buy their energy. Why should their people get caught up in this geopolitical mess? So buying right. it with rupee, things are changing as far as energy markets go. And Bitcoin, I think, is waiting to have a big move. So when I see these correlations, non-correlations, new events, I see energy and, and Bitcoin's big opportunity there. Yeah, well, just one thing to add on to that is it could be either Bitcoin miners starting to own the power or the power starting to own the Bitcoin miners. So either works. Either, yeah. either is the type of coordinating event that I would like to see, because, again, it yeah. cuts out the demand for dollars. If they're getting revenue in dollars from selling energy to human beings who are consuming it for their refrigerators, fine, that helps pay the bills. But if you own the source, then it's a different game and you could actually start seeing the true work of a Bitcoin mining operation to load balance and to generate real wealth. So that, that's what I'm yeah. anticipating. All right. Well, let's talk. Speaking of energy, let's let's look at some energy charts, shall we? So, Chris, thank you, sir. Is this is the U.S. oil price for the last couple of years, and it is having a hard time to catch a bid. It's still stuck in the mid seventies. It it could as easily break down from here as break up. And if we are going into recession, like a lot of analysts are thinking, the demand for oil is going to fall. Right. So most likely we're going to see a break down from this pattern, but I'm watching this every day. So if you guys follow me to make sure you stay up to date on what's going on with the oil price. Next slide is the European natural gas. And it is just trailing off. As you can see, you know, the, the fear of a hard winter is now gone. They found workarounds around sanctions. I've heard that there's lots of transfers happening in the Mediterranean and off the coast, coast of Portugal, where Russian gas, you know, liquefied natural gas or Russian oil is getting transferred onto different ships and then taken into Europe. So these sanctions are kind of, you know, just dressing their theater, as you, you like to say. So this is trailing off. And then the next slide is the last one we have, I think, for energy. And that is U.S. natural gas. It is definitely back to normal low normal. The European natural gas is not quite normal yet. It has another maybe 50% to go down before it is back into the pre, I would call this the pre Putin normal, but the U S is there now, even with Freeport opening up Freeport is the big export hub. I believe it's in Houston. I talk about it every week and I know I haven't looked it up exactly what city it's in, but I think it's in Houston or just outside Houston. And they have, you know, it's the big export hub for liquefied natural gas. There was an explosion last year. It was offline for a long time. Now it's back online for the last couple months and really nothing has happened to the price 
people were expecting that we're going to be exporting a lot more, which we probably are, but all the prices globally for energy are coming back down. So very interesting charts there on energy. Nolan, any quick comments on this? We, we're kind of falling behind time here a little bit. So any quick comments? Yeah, just that I, the, all the innovation, what the Germans built to process this stuff in record time, I think these are the stories we're going to understand about World War III when it's being studied in the future. These were the big events. And even the Russian, let, let's call it impromptu maritime force that's guarding all of these ships, that, that's another story that people aren't talking about. This is kind of like a return to almost privateering, pirating mm. type of structures. So these are going to be big stories. This stuff's going to grow into new things that we've never seen before. So uh, pretty interesting. Awesome. Okay. On to our big headline story and that's Silvergate and all the banks kind of exploding here. So there we go. So these are headlines that just came out today or yesterday. Crypto bank Silvergate will shut down amid financial peril. Crypto bank, crypto bank Silvergate to shut down in face of market turmoil. And I, what I think is awesome is that <laughs> this really was a Bitcoin bank or a crypto bank because 90% of their deposits were related to shit coins, basically to FTX and to all these others. But then this bottom headline here, Coinbase ends relationship with Silvergate as the crypto bank faces federal investigations and viability concerns. That was from a few days before this most recent news. But what we know now is they are going to be winding down their business their banking business. They say they have enough to pay all depositors, but their stock has crashed. I think it's crashed 98% or something. And so, yeah, Silvergate is no more. It's going to wrap up and pay off all its depositors. This could be a big hit to the crypto side of the house, which, you know, Bitcoin is not crypto, crypto is not Bitcoin, but this is definitely a it rubs off on Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin suffers, I think, from this, this news. But I do have a little bit of this article here. And if I could go to the next slide, Chris, please. Silvergate was founded in 1988. So it was founded a long time before Bitcoin ever was around. It transitioned into serving the digital assets industry as crypto rose in popularity. The move was lucrative during crypto's bull market as Silvergate's share price grew more than 1,500% between November 2019 and November 2021. So this bank is also behind a lot of the just crazy DeFi and shit coinery that we saw going on back in the last rally. Crypto came to dominate its business. By September of 2022, 90% of its deposit base came from crypto firms. As of mid-January, Silvergate served more than 1,500 digital currency and financial technology companies. Next slide, please. The story continues. On Thursday morning, Coinbase announced that it would no longer accept or initiate payments to or from Silvergate, adding that it had a de minimis or no significant corporate exposure to Silvergate. Coinbase cited recent developments as an abundance of caution for the decision. And of course, that was before this most recent thing where they're shutting down. So this is a story from, I think, Friday or Monday. At, this is a quote from a tweet at Coinbase. All client funds continue to be safe, accessible, and available in light of recent developments and out of abundance of caution. Coinbase is no longer accepting or initiating payments to or from Silvergate. Next slide, please. Article continues. Coinbase announced it would be moving to Signature, 
So Signature, I've never heard of Signature before I read this article, but Signature is the next Donald one. Trump's banker. Donald Trump's banker. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, the what a small world. But okay, another crypto-friendly bank, although it is facing financial uncertainty as well, with deposits in the fourth quarter of 2022 dropping 13.8%, thanks in large part to its planned reduction in digital asset partners. On Wednesday, Bloomberg reported that crypto exchange Kraken would be pulling back from Signature for some financial transactions, owing to new guidance from the bank that it would no longer support crypto exchange customers buying and selling amounts of less than $100,000. see, do I have any other quotes? No, that's the last one from the Silvergate story. So very interesting. These, you know. Yeah, I've got, you know, it, to me, this is one of those stories where we can't tell good news from bad. Oh, good and let me yeah. let me explain. Right, some sometimes what seems like bad news is great news. So, go back in time for a bit here with the Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, the Signature Bank removed because they they're kind of a little later. They they didn't come around until twenty eighteen, let's say. But, and they're not failing yet, right? They're, they're not failing. Like, they have a whole yeah. portfolio of business that's out there other yeah. than this. This was a. Uh, they had a few, and even like from an HR point of view, I worked at Kraken and there were, they built a settlement system inside of Signature. And that's one of the reasons why the the exchanges like working with them. They had sort of a compatibility of settling up accounts and things that were much better than other folks. Oh, okay. So, but here's the thing, Silicon Valley Bank, which is also not referenced here, but is also looking like it's having some troubles and Silvergate. So here's what I noticed. And, and this is the good news from the bad, all right? So I had a client in New York City in 2015, and then the stupid bit license came. And I used to be able to invoice and get paid in Bitcoin and made life super easy with these guys. It was it was like a, you know, <clears throat> a New York City crypto thing, but you could get paid in Bitcoin back in those days. And it was very simple, very easy, no problems, right? And now when the bit license came, all those New York companies that were in the space that didn't mind the HR stuff, right? They, they weren't doing, they, were, they had Bitcoin crypto businesses, but they didn't mind paying people in Bitcoin and crypto too. It was it was easy. So they would just do it. But now that this banking thing came in with a bid license, that was the first thing to go. So I started getting mm. checks all the time. I don't know where I started getting checks in 2016. They're, oh, we got to pay you in dollars. And it's got to be a check because of the bid license. And... And mm. so these banks came in to help out crypto companies who then couldn't do the most obvious use case, which was pay their contractors in Bitcoin or whatever. So all of a sudden I had to sacrifice what I had already committed to personally in 2015, which was getting paid in Bitcoin. That's what I wanted. It was a pay me in Bitcoin mindset that I had. And so I had to go out and accept that I was getting stupid checks from banks <clears throat> that I didn't care about. Yeah. And it stunted a whole bunch of stuff that should have happened, right? New York companies should have scofflawed when it came to the bid license. They should have scofflawed Ben Lossky and everything that had to do with the New York Department of Financial Services, the superintendent of financial services. And none of that ended up happening. And you had a kind of stunted growth of easy things in New York where again, we should have been scofflawing. We should have been saying, get out of here, Albany, get out of here, we're gonna pay you. And that never happened. And, and now these guys are out of business, but maybe all these businesses that are there, 
that complained in the old days, we can't get bank accounts. And then these guys get the bank accounts and then they just put you on a bank account system. Right. Now we might actually get what we need, which is a, another one of these loop closing systems, right? We should be able to pay people and New Yorkers should be able to, and everyone should be able to pay people in the very thing we're talking about, discussing all the time and that we love. And, and so these guys going out of business is an opportunity for people out there. And, and notice that Kraken announced this week that it's going to do its bank thing. And now I worked at Kraken and what we worked on there was this whole bailment way of depositing funds so that in the event of bankruptcy, there's no question about getting your funds out. They can't repurpose them. They can't rehypothecate them. We mm. created the same, the same legal relationship that allows the repo market to work between banks and between banks and commercial, between the Federal Reserve and commercial banks. There's no debtor creditor relationship created by the repo transaction, even though there's a forward on the contract to pay the premium, the overnight it's a rate. Yeah. It's a promise, but the contract is a straight swap, and right. you maintain the owner. It doesn't create a debtor. J.P. Morgan is not in debt to the Federal Reserve because it took Correct. an overnight loan, right? Which is crazy. But that's what's abstracted away with Federal Reserve Banking, because we become debtors with the instruments of a commercial bank. But the banks aren't debtors to the Federal Reserve. That's what allows this whole claptrap thing to go on. And what Kraken has created and what the Wyoming license lets you do is have that same relationship that the commercial banks have with the Federal Reserve. Your deposits do not create a creditor debtor relationship. And there's a fungibility aspect there. But by fungibility, I mean, it's not just any Bitcoin Kraken would give you back. It's the Bitcoin you put in there, right? It's the actual Bitcoin you deposited. So things, I think there is an opportunity here. So Kraken announces all of this this week. Now, they're not going to get the relationship from the Federal Reserve they want, but still things are progressing in a way that's good for Bitcoin, maybe an inconvenience for people today. Yeah, all great points. And it's just not, it's not just Silvergate. Like you brought in Kraken, you brought in all these other bank names. I mean, one of the big worries is that this could snowball into being something like a great financial crisis when, you know, the real big guys were in trouble. So we, we have a couple smaller names with Silvergate and Silicon Valley Bank, which I have a story here real quick about Silicon Valley Bank. They, their shares plunged 38% on Thursday after the company completed a $21 billion fire, fire sale of its bond portfolio. They're gonna take the, the bonds that they were only making 1.7% on, on average, and they're gonna roll that into short-term government securities, you know, treasuries yielding four to 5% now on the two year and the one year and all that. So th this is a, a big step up for Silicon Valley Bank. I think it's probably a good move. But they're, they're really hurting because 2022 has been so slow for IPOs, so slow for, um, you know, just all of this VC funding that usually is going by the hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. It's really, really slowed down for them. So these companies that they bank are running through their cash, right? And so deposits are shrinking. It's just not a good thing for Silicon Valley Bank. But they look like they're doing okay for now. They're not failing yet. So th this is, these are two smaller banks, but also Credit Suisse is a big one. Credit Suisse has, I had this story here. Where did I put it? Now I can't even find it, but Credit Suisse yeah. is having some trouble with, they, they've 
said they're going to delay some things reporting to the SEC, and that's never a good sign. Of course, they say it's like internals. It's a problem with our internals. We rebalance some things, and we, we need some more time to get our books right before we report to you, Mr. SEC. And that it's a red flag. And Credit Suisse is starting to get up to that next tier of banks, up to the next tier of the big boys, and perhaps maybe Deutsche Bank after that. You know, Then who is next? UBS, or you know, it could just snowball from there. So a lot of people are watching this banking sector as maybe building into something like the great financial crisis. I don't think it is. I think Credit Suisse has been having problems for a couple of years now, or maybe even going back five, 10 years. So I don't think this is necessarily about the banking sector in general. But yeah, any any thoughts on these failures? And then we got to get into the Powell testimony. So any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, they're going to Looks like they're going to test too big to fail again, and we'll see how it goes. This time. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, very well could. All right, let's bring up the clips. Producer Chris, please. The clips of Powell. He testified in front of the Senate Banking Judiciary Committee or whatever it's called two days ago. Then yesterday he was in front of the House. But the first day what I did was I pulled out some interesting questions that he was asked and some interesting answers. And we're just going to go over them. I think it's a total of like maybe six minutes of video and we only have 10 minutes left. So we got to get rolling on this. Producer Chris, Chris, thank, you, thank you, sir. Devastated, hardworking Americans causing a kitchen table crisis in every corner of our country as the price of food, energy and housing have all skyrocketed. In response, the Federal Reserve has raised the Federal Reserve fund rate more than four percentage points. Being far from transient, inflation has remained persistent, high, and well above the Fed's long-run goal of remaining under 2%. In the coming year, what factors and indicators are you paying attention to as you and the Federal Open Market Committee decide on whether to increase rates? So I'd say a couple of things to that. First, we're looking, we're going to be looking at inflation in the three sectors that I mentioned, the goods sector, the housing sector, and then the broader service sector. And we need the, the, the inflation that's already underway in the goods sector to continue. And that's really important. In, in, the, in the housing sector, we just need the time to pass so that that reported inflation comes down. And it's effectively in the pipeline as long as, as, long as new leases are being signed at relatively small increases. So we'll be watching very, very carefully, though, at, at the larger service sector, which is 56% of, the, of consumer spending and more than that of, what, of what's currently inflation. So that's one thing we'll be, we'll be watching that very carefully. Also, we raised rates very quickly last year, and we know that monetary policy, tightening policy, has delayed effects. It takes a while for the full effects to be seen in economic activity and inflation. So we're, we're watching carefully to see those effects come in, into play. So we're, and we're, we're aware that we haven't seen the full effects yet, and we're taking that into account as we, as we think about rate hikes. So when you're looking at this, obviously not to get into a policy discussion, but if there were an increase of energy production in this country, do you feel like that would help drive down inflation? Well, it, I think over time, more energy would mean, would mean lower energy prices. But we, we are very focused on, on, the, on what we call core inflation, because mm -hmm. that really is, that is what is driven by you know, really by demand, and our tools are really aimed at demand. Right, understood. But I feel like the cost of energy is not just what you pay at the pump. It ends up affecting every good. All right, so I liked that clip. 
first, I think she was the easiest, one of the easiest to watch. Usually you get these old gruff guys up there, but she had actually a really, some, a really good question there about the oil industry. And this is one thing I have been talking about that us oil production is artificially tamped down right now. And so it's a very simple question. If more, if the oil industry was allowed to grow and there's more oil production, wouldn't that naturally bring down prices? It's a very simple question. And the obvious answer is yes. And Powell has to say, yeah, that's true, but we don't really look at that. We look at core. And another guy asked this same similar question before this, but he didn't follow up like this. And she followed up very well. And she said, yes, but it's not just the price at the pump that oil price in, you know, influences it's all prices. So that would include core. So she did a very good job firing back on that. And yeah, I think it, it's being brought up more and more. And a lot of people are starting to understand that quote unquote inflation that we're talking about. The CPI is not money printing. It's actually due to sanctions. It's due to supply chain disruptions. It's due to all sorts of other things. So any quick comments on that first clip there, Nolan? Yeah, I think that that's what I'm seeing too. And I'm glad he focused on demand and focused their policy objectives on demand destruction. And the more and more he has to say it out loud, you know, what, you know I've always had yeah. an idea for, for bad ideas, right? When you, when you work in a company or whatever, you, you ask the person to just write it down, right? I challenge anyone to write it down. And you'll start to see how dumb an idea is when you actually are forced <laughs> to write it down. And then you, and then you can also, okay, well now it's done, right? <clears throat> And so what I see here is the more he needs to explain what it is he's actually doing and the more words that come out of his mouth, in the end, it's not about piecing through them and trying to mind read him. He's giving you the breadcrumbs that are there yeah. and he's giving you the actual narrative that's there. And for him to actually be able to focus it on demand, I think in the end is going to allow people to, again, see the other side of the trade here because the trade isn't just Bitcoin for dollars, it's systems. You're, you're thinking in terms of systems. Which system would you prefer? The one where this guy gets to say his prayers and you've got to listen to what he's praying for or the one where you get to chart your own course in the world. So it's, it's, a, it's a systemic confrontation here. It's a clash of civilizations. And every time he says that, I think it's beneficial to Bitcoin is what I would say. It's an ideological clash. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Now, this next clip is our one of our favorites, Senator Pocahontas Warren. She is out there and she is really grilling Powell. I have a couple pauses in this one. Again, we're running short on time. Sorry about this, guys. We have a hard stop at the half hour. But producer Chris, please roll the next one. The Fed has raised interest rates eight times over the last year in what has been the most extreme rate hike cycle in 40 years. The Fed's goal is to slow inflation, and your tool, raising interest rates, is designed to slow the economy and throw people out of work. So far, you haven't tipped the economy into recession, but you haven't brought inflation entirely under control either. And maybe the reason for that is that other things are also keeping prices high, things you can't fix with high interest rates, things like price gouging and supply chain kinks and a war in Ukraine. But you are determined to continue to raise interest rates, so I want to take a look at where you're headed. In December, the Fed released its projections on the state of the economy under your monetary policy plan. According to the Fed's own report, 
if you continue raising interest rates as you plan, unemployment will be 4.6% by the end of the year, more than a full point higher than it is today. Chair Powell, if you hit your projections, do you know how many people who are currently working, going about their lives, will lose their jobs? I don't, uh, I don't have that number in front of me. I will say it's, it's not, it's it's not just an intended a consequence. It's well, not... But it is, and it's in your report, and that would be about 2 million people who would lose their jobs, people who are working right now making their mortgages. So, Chair Powell, if you could speak directly to the 2 million hardworking people who have decent jobs today, who you're planning to get fired over Let's try to get to the next one, but just a real quick for that one, I want to say, even she's saying, look, this is things outside of your control. We have sanctions going in Europe. We have supply chain kinks. You know, she's, she's saying that as well. So both sides of the aisle, that first lady was a conservative and, and Warren is one of these Marxists. So, you know, the back and forth, both sides are saying it's not. She got, she got her price control. gouging in there. She got the price gouging in there. Right. <laughs> she did. She did. Okay. Let's go on to the next clip, please. Or continuing next year, what would you say to them? How would you explain your view that they need to lose their jobs? I would explain to people more broadly that that inflation is extremely high and it's hurting the working people of this country badly. All of them, not just two million of them, but all of them are suffering under high inflation, and we are taking the, the only measures we have to bring inflation down. And putting two million people out of work is just part of the cost, and they just have to bear it. Will, they, will, will working people be better off if, if we just walk away from our jobs and, and inflation remains well, 5 let 6 percent? Let me ask you about what happens if you do this. Since the end of World War II, there have been 12 times in which the unemployment rate has increased by one percentage point within one year, exactly what you're aiming to do right now. How many of those times did the U.S. economy avoid falling into a recession? You know, it's it's not as black and white as it, it very, Just very Just looking at the numbers, it actually yeah, no, is no. pretty black Alan and Alan Blinder's written a book on this. And, there have and, been 12 times that yeah. we've seen a one-point increase in the, in the unemployment rate in a year. That's exactly what your Fed report has put out as the projection and the plan based on how you're going to keep raising these interest rates. How many times did the economy fail to fall into a recession after doing that out of 12 times? I think the number is zero. I think all right. We, we have to cut that clip a little bit short, but just take take my word for it. Or if you guys want to go back and watch that, you can find that on YouTube or wherever. Yeah, it, they go back and forth. They cut each other off. She's trying to blame him, obviously. And one point that she does make there is, you know, how long, how many times has the economy not gone into recession if you were to achieve your goal? And he says, never. And I lost the whole point, my whole point, because I was rushing to make this comment. Nolan, please save me. Take take it away with the comments. Well, here. I mean, he, he is trying to underline that it's demand destruction and not trying to tie a correlation between employment, which to me, you know, I, I don't give much credit to most financial metrics except employment. To me, and energy. Get your energy right, get your employment right, 
that's macroeconomics, if you will, right? That's yeah. that's the system working properly if you get them right, right? So take a look at Texas, right? They got the biggest budget surplus in the country this year. They're still producing a lot of energy. They're producing jobs. They're giving money back to the people. That's how well their government has been run and managed this year. So to me, everything is employment and energy. <clears throat> and what I think Senator Warren here is saying is that you can't ignore the consequences of your policy metric being actual demand destruction and caving jobs because it's a more important indicator for the economy than GDP, which is juiced, than CPI, which is juiced, than all the other indicators which have political manipulation involved in them. And so does so do jobs in a sense. But the the idea here that you're actively creating a scenario where Americans will lose their jobs so that there's not as much demand in the economy is as bare a way of saying it. So I say good for Senator Warren for taking this line of attack. Of course, she's got her own political interests. She's got her own. But on this, she she got it right as far as putting him in a corner and making him say it out loud. It's like what I said about someone writing it down. Yeah. You know, that's how you expose a bad idea. Write it down and tell me what it says. In this case, saying it out loud is often enough. Right? It's often enough. I, I always preach in any business that I work in, don't be afraid to have bad ideas and get smashed. And don't be afraid to say my ideas are bad. It's the only way I'm going to get to a good idea. Right? Nine ideas are going to be dumb. But if, yeah. as long as I'm not afraid of saying them out loud and getting them destroyed, I'll find a good idea out of that, out of that set here. So in this case, making them say it out loud is important. All right. Well, thank you, Nolan, for the glove save there at the end. <laughs> Thanks also for being on the show. Guys can follow Nolan on Twitter at CountBTC. You can follow me at Ansel Lindner. Check out, what, what's the name of your live stream, Nolan? The actual title? The Breakup. Every the day breakup. at That's right. 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Yep, so check that out. You can check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com to follow all the stuff I do, including a more in-depth breakdown of this testimony that we just watched. And that's it, guys. Join us next week. Like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. 
As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.